That's the Great Commission, and that's what we're commanded and directed to do. And that's what Paul and Barnabas have been exampling for us on their missions trip in Acts 13 and 14. Just as that crew leaves, they, as we were singing the song, um, O Church, arise right at the end. The next to the last line says, The saints of old still line the way. Just made me think. Um, back, I think it was in 20, it was 2015 or 2016. I had the privilege of going to Cuba with PR, and while we were there, we had um, two young ladies and a young man. Well, the young man was our translator and interpreter, and then the two young ladies worked for the Christian agency there, and they kind of set up our itinerary and plans and made sure we got where we needed to go. But um, the really cool part is the one young lady, I think she was 26 years old, she was the granddaughter of a man that has planted 75 churches in Cuba. <laughs> and the other young lady, she's, she's only 22 years old, and her grandfather had planted 30 churches in Cuba. And, it, and it's like uh, the saints of old still line the way, retelling, uh, retelling triumphs of his grace. And, and we had the privilege of sitting with one of the grandpas uh, for a couple hours one afternoon and just soaking in stories that he had to tell about his meetings with Raul and Fidel Castro face to face um, and, and calling them out and telling them that they weren't doing right uh, for the church in Cuba. And um, man, whoo, you, you want to talk about being excited and being uh, privileged uh, to, to sit in, in the presence of that faithful and, and honorable man uh, that wanted to serve the Lord and plant churches. Um, and just, just as our video said, um, we are the church. It's not this building. We need to go. And when we leave here every week, the church leaves. The church doesn't stay here. Okay? We are the church. We need to be the church. We need to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. So just... Um, yeah, just to cue us in where we're heading today. Open God's words with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 13 and 14. Spend a few minutes in 13 and brief review before we head into chapter, well, continue and conclude chapter 14 today. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here today to come and to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, to worship you, Father, to worship you through our song, to worship you through the preaching of your word and through the offerings that we give you. Father, that's, that's all we know how to do, to praise you and, and give back to you. Uh, we thank you, and, and through the week, as we, as we spend time in your word, we spend time communicating with you through prayer that you would just open our eyes, give us understanding, and, and, and grow us into better disciples, Father, as we see uh, the, the work of Paul and Barnabas in, in Lystra today. And we just ask your blessing upon the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we looked in, in chapter 14, verses 8 through 18. <clears throat> Started out with the, the healing of the lame man, and we drew comparisons between chapter 3 when... Peter and John were walking into the temple and, and healed the lame man. Well, they didn't heal him. Jesus did, but um, God used them. And then in chapter 14, uh, is they're, they're, they're ministering in that. Make sure I get it right here. 
that they are ministering in Lystra, that, that God gives them an, uh, gives Paul and Barnabas, specifically Paul, the opportunity to, to heal a lame man. And we, we drew the comparisons between the two. Uh, they were both lame from birth. And we, we brought out just that we're all spiritually lame when we're born. Um, that, that there was eye contact. And, and I said that I'd like to make eye contact with you, but don't I need to expect to be healed because it's not going to happen through me. But that in the, the, the one distinction that we drew between the two, and, and we wondered if it didn't cause some of Paul's problems later here in Lystra, is that Peter, in, in chapter 3, I'm going to turn, turn again just to make sure I get it right, as, as he is being permitted to, to be used of God, uh, 3 verse 6, Peter says, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, Walk. And that it was in the name of Jesus, Peter understood that it wasn't his own power that was doing it, that it was in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit that that man was going to be healed. And as we look in chapter 14, verse 10, Paul said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. Now Paul knew that that wasn't done in his power, but here for some reason he did not do it in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we, we kind of thought about it, and, and no, 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 I mean, the, commenta- I'm, the commentators are smart enough not to address this, okay? They, they didn't want to go there, and, and I'm dumb enough to go there and, and just wonder out loud if maybe the reason that these people tried to worship Paul and Barnabas was because he hadn't used the name of Jesus. And had he used the name of Jesus right up front and done the healing in the name of Jesus, maybe the people would have recognized and understood that these guys weren't doing it in their power. But since he didn't use the name of Jesus, the people here, and we told, we told the story of, uh, no, I don't have it, no. off the top of my head, the, the name of the poet, the poet was Ovid, but I, his name, okay, his, the name of his poem or the, the, the allegory that they told was, the name of it was Metamorphosis, and they talked about how Jupiter and Zeus, or Jupiter and Mercury had come down and, and tried to knock on people's doors and be, uh, have, see who would show them kindness in their human form, and, and nobody did, and so, well, finally an old couple did and gave them of, of what little they had. But they went back, and the, so this is the legend or the story is that Jupiter and Mercury went back and destroyed the thousand people in their houses by flood because they didn't let them in and recognize, you know, didn't, didn't acknowledge them. Well, that was the, the, the town of Lystra was, the, this metamorphosis was, the setting was there just 50 years prior. So they had it in their mind that they didn't want to screw up if the gods came to earth again. That, that they wanted to make sure that they worshiped them, and that was kind of the mindset they were in. But the, 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 I, I, I don't know. It, maybe it'll be one of those questions, and maybe when I get to heaven it won't matter. I won't even think of it then, but I, I'd love to talk to God and say, why, why didn't Paul just say in the name of Jesus? Would that have made a difference? Perhaps it wouldn't have. They had so many different gods that they, that they worshiped that maybe it wouldn't have made the difference. Maybe that's why the smart commentators don't even go there. I don't know. But we, we do want to, to know and understand that in, in his preaching later on that he acknowledges that it was a living God and it was the God, the omnipotent God, the all-knowing, the all-powerful God. 
And, and that was one thing that we saw in Paul's ministry. In chapter 13, he was preaching to the Jews in the, in the temple. And so he was using the Old Testament law to, to help them focus their minds and get to the, to the same conclusion that he's going to get to with the, guys, the folks in Lystra. But in Lystra, he starts talking to the God of create about the God of creation, not the God of the Old Testament, because the people wouldn't have understood anything about the God of the Old Testament. But they understood the God of creation because they worshipped creation and they worshipped the gods of the creation. But what Paul wanted them to see and understand was that they needed to worship the God who created the creation, the creator of all of that. That he was the one powerful God, that he was the one true God. And that was the God they needed to be worshiping, not all these other idols that they had. So is, then we're coming down here. Um, verses, we'll start into verse 19 for today of chapter 14, Acts 14, 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he arose and entered the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. Chapter 13, we were primarily in Antioch. If you look at the end of chapter 13, verse 51, it says that, that Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust of their feet in protest against, and they went to, to Iconium. And, and I'm sorry, the verse before that was talking about the, in Antioch, the, the uh, persecution that was coming up against them. And we, we talked about that for a couple different weeks. And the reason that the Jews were against them was because uh, they, they were taking the attention away from them in the synagogue there in, in Antioch. And they wanted the focus to be on them. But when they came, Paul and Barnabas came and were teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles were believing and following what Paul and Barnabas were teaching. They were following the truth. And, of course, the people that had had all the attention on them wanted the attention back. So they figured, we got to get rid of these guys. And so that's what we see in verse 50 there. But in 51, they shook the dust off their feet and they headed on down, to, down the road to Iconium. It was about 95 miles. I didn't ask you to put that map in today, Stephen. Okay, sorry. Uh, they, they headed on down to Iconium, uh, about 95 miles to the southeast. And this is in, in chapter 14. Uh, let's see. Up until verse 6, that's where uh, Paul and Barnabas were preaching, and the same thing happened there. They preached the word. Jews and Gentiles believed it. The, the Jews that, that ran the synagogue there didn't appreciate the fact that they were getting all the attention now. And so they, they talked about uh, verse 5, chapter 14, verse 5. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, verse 6, they became aware of it and they fled to the cities of like Aonia, there we go, and that is the county, and then the cities were Lystra and Derby. And so most of chapter 14 up until we get to um, verse 20 takes place in Lystra, and, and this is where that they are, the, the lame man was healed, and, and then they wanted to worship them. And, and, and how crazy is it, how fickle is it, that one day, they want to worship them. They want to make sacrifice to them. And the next day, 
In Lystra, when some folks come from Antioch and Iconium, they catch up to them, they want to stone them there. So yesterday, in Lystra, the people wanted to worship them. Thank you, Stephen. Just to show you again real quick and to remind you, okay? They, they, they were on the island of Cyprus. They landed here at Italia, went up to Antioch, and then Iconium. Lystra's here, and then Derby is, is where they're going to go in verse 21 uh, for what seems to be a brief stay, but a lot happened while they were there. So we are, we are in Lystra. Some of the angry Jews traveled 100 miles, and that was no small feat in those days. They traveled 195 miles from Antioch to Iconium, and then from Iconium they, they grabbed a few more folks and traveled the 20 miles down to, to Lystra just so that they could stone this guy. That, that, that's a lot of anger. If you think what a 100-mile trip was back then, I mean, that'd be a lot today to do, to go 115, 120 miles just to go kill somebody because they said something that you didn't believe? Well, obviously, Satan was at work. So in verse, verse 19, it says, The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they convinced them, them that they were worshiping, wanting to sacrifice to yesterday, today. They're not shouting Hosanna, they're shouting crucify. And they stone them. Is that, does that sound familiar? I mean, Easter's not too far down the calendar here. And the Sunday before, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and they were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna. And by the end of the week, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Paul, Paul and Barnabas kind of saw the same thing happen. Well, obviously, they weren't, they weren't the son of God, but they were his children. But for one day to, to be worshipped and the next day to be wanting you know, crucify him, kill him, stone him. Now in Iconium, they didn't, put, they didn't pick up the rocks and throw them, but here in Lystra they did. And, and the idea with, a, with stoning was that you threw, you know, it wasn't these little pebbles that you try to skip across the lake. You pick up rocks and you keep throwing them at the guy until he's dead. So it were, it, it, at best he had bruises, most likely he had some broken bones, and they, 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 they did it long enough that, that he wasn't moving. He wasn't moving. They thought he was dead. So they drug him outside the city and just threw him on the, the dump pile. But verse 20 is so cool. <laughs> but while the disciples stood around him, he arose and went back into the city. Maybe he got hit in the head with too many rocks. <laughs> Why would you get up and go back into the city that, yeah, where they just did it? Well, I, honestly, when you stop and think about it, he was probably the last guy they expected to see walking back into the city, right? They figured he was dead. So they, they weren't looking for him. I, I don't think they were looking for him to, to walk back into the city. 
But as the disciples stood around him, and it doesn't give us a lot of details, but, but I, I would imagine that they were praying. Maybe some of them were even crying, shedding some tears, because maybe they thought he was dead too. It would make sense that, that they would have thought that. The people in the city thought he was dead. But he rose and entered back into the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. Now, Derby's a 60-mile walk. I don't know if he rode a donkey. Again, a lot of details aren't given, but I can't imagine even riding a donkey would be comfortable the day after being stoned and presumed dead. Remember what Dick was reading at the beginning of the service, that list of benefits from serving the Lord, all the, the beatings and the stonings and the time in prison. I can't help but think in his humanity, sometimes he complained or griped a little bit, but it's never recorded. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't a drama queen or king. He wasn't all about that. He was about serving the Lord and being faithful and true to the work that they were sent to do. So now they, in verse 20, they head on down to Derby, and by verse 22, they're already heading back. But a lot, is, a lot happens in verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Again, I'm sure the folks in Iconium and Antioch weren't looking for him because they really didn't expect him to be walking around. So maybe he was able to slide under the radar for a little bit there. But a few weeks ago, I mentioned the first one of the, the, the five steps in church planting that, that Paul and Barnabas use here and they'll use in future missionary trips. Um, some, of this in, in some of this is mine and some of this I, I'm stealing a little bit from George and Don Sweeting in their book, The Acts of God. So just so you know, this isn't all my, some is, but um, anyhow, the first thing, the, the first uh, point uh, in their church planning is to preach the word. And in chapter 13, he was preaching a long sermon. Remember we talked about all the active nouns that, that they listed that God did for the, the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness and then as they were in the land of Canaan. Um, there was like 13 active verbs that he did this and he did that. Stop and think sometime in your devotions, your quiet time when you're being still. Just think of the things that God has done for you. And that he, he actively participates in your life if you'll allow him to. And, and that um, he had chosen, God had chosen the fathers. He made the people great. He led them out. And this is always my favorite. He put up with them. And that's, that's a quote from the scriptures here. Uh, verse 18 of chapter 13. He put up with them. He destroyed nations. He distributed their land. He gave them judges. He gave them Saul. He removed Saul. He raised up David, he found David, and, and then he brought God to Israel, a Savior, Jesus. And the key, the key verses of Paul's message in chapter 13 are 38 and 39. And, and we, we talked about how in 13, chapter 13 he preaches to the Jews, and in chapter 14 he's preaching to more Gentiles in the, in the, in the, the smaller cities as you get further and further away from the big city of Antioch up there. 
But the, the, the end, the, the destination of his message was the same in, in, both, in both sermons. And that was to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But in 1338, he says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and that through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. We talk about, and we've repeated this in Acts many times, that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the temple, and he fulfilled prophecy. And, and he's talking to Jews here in chapter 13, so that's what he's reminding them of. And then in chapter 14, verses, uh, the second half of 15, he says, preach the God, We preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living, the vain things being the idols, to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then in generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness. Excuse me, and that he did good and gave you rains from the heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Wanting, wanting the people to understand again that there was one omnipotent God and, and that he is the God that did the creation, that made the creation, and he is the one that controls it. He, he gives you the rains and, and fruitful seasons so that they would understand that he isn't just the God of the stars or the God of the rain or the God of the harvest, but he is the God that created all of it. And he, he wanted them to understand that. Uh, quickly to, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And, and Timothy, if I remember correctly, is from Derby. And this was probably, most likely, his first introduction to the gospel was when Paul and Barnabas are here. But he obviously becomes a, 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 fellow, a fellow worker in the ministry because Paul writes a couple letters to him to, to train him up and encourage him to help him to be a, a better disciple and follower of Christ and a better preacher. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, and Paul is, is at the end of his second letter to Timothy, and he is exhorting him. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience and instruction. For the time will come will they, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Preach the word. I mean, after all, why would we want a church with anything else as the theme or the center of it? Preach the word of God. That's where it starts. That's the, the beginning, the middle, and the end of it. Preach the word. After verse 21, after they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. One of the things, and in, in there, there's... What do I say? There's not a point, a verse to point to in it, but, but one of the things throughout their entire ministry is when you're going to start a church, develop a church, you need to walk the talk and you need to walk the walk. Okay? We say your talk talk and your walk walks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks? It does. You want, you want to hear that again? See if I can mess it up the second time around. 
your talk talks and your walk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So we need to, we need to walk the walk and we need to walk the talk. They, they need to mirror each other. They need to be the same. We need to be people of integrity. And when, and when we teach that, that God wants us to love people, guess what? We need to love people. I can't remember what the scenario was. This thought just came in. Is you know, in certain situations, you're you're supposed to act. Don't don't act nervous or paranoid or whatever. And in in but then you say, well, the key is to actually not be nervous or paranoid. We we don't need to be nervous because we know that we have the presence of God. We don't have to act like we're not. We just shouldn't be. So if we're going to preach love then we better be loving. The healing... Oh boy, I didn't write down which commentator this came from. I'm quoting one, sorry, it's not mine. The healing of the lame man did not move them to worship Christ. We, we talked a little bit about that before, that maybe, perhaps, had, had Paul invoked the name of Jesus in the healing process it might have ended up differently maybe it wouldn't have but just because they saw the the lame man healed didn't draw them to Christ they had to preach the word they had to stand firm in in the in the they they had to not back down even even at the threat and the the carrying out of of being stoned to death They had to walk the walk, and they had to walk the talk. They had to be the one and the same. They had to mirror each other. In verse 22, as they're on their return trip, they're strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And I kind of think that Paul and Barnabas knew what they were talking about. I think they were qualified to make that statement. So one of the, 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 the steps in, in establishing a church and in a, in a growing church, and, and like our video said earlier, that the, the church is not all about growing and getting bigger, but yet at the same time, Green is growing, ripe is rotting. If you're not growing, you're dying. And there should be growth. There needs to be spiritual growth. There should be some numerical growth. Because if we're living the walk, and we're living the talk, others should see Jesus in us and want some of that. Do we show them anything they want to see? Or do they see us and go, eh? I say that kind of funny, but it's not funny. What are we presenting? What are we showing them? What, okay, what are we marinating in? If people squeeze us, what's going to squeeze out? If we marinate... In the activities of the world, the world is what's going to be in our hearts, and that's what's going to squeeze out when we're squeezed. If we spend our time in God's Word, if we spend our time with believers, if we spend our time 
focusing on exalting the name of Jesus Christ when the world squeezed us, then Lord, help us please let Jesus be squeezed out of us. Let it be the love of Jesus that they squeeze. In the work of the ministry in verse 22, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. Stand firm. Stand firm. When when hard days come, stand firm. Just think of the, the, the visual in my mind. I'm thinking of the little kids. Spiritual, spiritual babies versus spiritual adults, mature adults. And that doesn't necessarily correlate to, to physical age, although obviously with physical maturity there should be spiritual maturity as our walk with the Lord continues and grows. But you can see that it would be a lot make more sense that a spiritually discerning believer that, that, that is mature and, and is subsisting on the meat of the word, not the milk of the word like a baby does. And, and we say, what's the, what's the difference between a convert and a disciple? Well, the disciple is one that's been trained. The disciple is, is the convert who spends time in the word of God. The disciple is the, the, the convert that spends time in prayer. The disciple is the convert that spends time with other believers in fellowship and strengthening and encouraging one another. So when the flood comes at the, at the, at the flood stage of the river, that you can stand firm. And so that's what they're doing. What Paul and Barnabas were doing as they go back through. They're, 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 they're taking these, these converts and, and trying to develop them and bring them to spiritual maturity so that they can stand firm. When there's, when there's difficulties, when there is, at the end of 22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You know, the, the spiritual babies aren't going to be the one that Satan's attacking because they're not effective for him. The ones that Satan's going to attack are the disciples, the spiritual ones, the ones that walk the walk and that walk the talk, the ones that that have something to give, the ones that if you do squeeze them, Jesus will be squeezed out. Those are the ones Satan's going to attack. Everybody bow your heads real quick and close your eyes, Just, just for a short second. Because I don't, I don't want to look at any one of you and I don't want you looking at me for a minute. You need to decide in your own life, am I suffering for Jesus? Am I being persecuted? Am I being made fun of or snickered? Am I, am I being ignored by the ladies' coffee group in my neighborhood because I love Jesus and I've taken the time to tell them about Jesus? <coughs> Do the guys not invite me over Sunday afternoon to watch a football game with them because they're afraid I'll start talking about Jesus? How much of our, how much of our lives, how much of my life is committed to sharing Jesus with others?
You can, you can open your eyes and look up now. I just don't want anybody to think I was looking at them because I have no ulterior motives there or anything. But we just all need to consider that. Verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, okay, that's another step in our, in our, in our church development, our church growth, uh, after planning a church. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, oh, does that sound familiar? Go back to the first couple of verses of chapter 13 quickly, if you would, with me. Chapter 13, verse 1, now they were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while in the, in the course of their ministering, it wasn't something separate that they set out to do. It was, in the, it was part of who they were. In the course of their ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. <coughs> for when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Back to chapter 14. Verse 23. Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They were, they were, they were headed back home to, to report. They appointed elders in the church. Now this, this, they did locally. They were setting up local leadership. They, they didn't call for a few more disciples to, to come from this Antioch over here. Remember, there's two Antiochs. But this is the church in Antioch that they had sent them out from. They didn't call, hey guys, send us a few more missionaries because we need some elders in these churches. No. They took the elders out of the group of believers that were becoming disciples and being trained for the work of the ministry from the local church. And, and one thing, I think just maybe not every one of them, but most of the commentators talk about, is that it's a plurality of elders. There should be more than one. The, the, the one pastor church is a, is a concept that's grown and developed in the U.S. in the last 200 years. It's not a biblical concept. We need more than one elder. We have two. We would like more. Because the more godly men we have praying and uh, praying about something and focusing on something, the more likely we are to find God's will and not say, hey, God bless our will, but we ask him for his will, that his will would be done. And it shouldn't rest with just one or even two. I know Dick is always saying, Pastor, I don't like making these decisions. We got I mean, we need more men to do it. And I say, Amen, Amen, and Amen, and Amen. We need more godly men to step up and to do the work of the ministry. But they're, they're, they're establishing them from in the local church here as they're passing back through Lystra and then back to Iconium and to Antioch. And then as they're, they're coming back, they're, they're pa passing through Pisidia, which is kind of an, a region, an area. They're going to come down to Perga, return to Italia, and from Italia they're going to sail back to Antioch. But this time, they, they spend a little more time in Perga on their way home than they did on the way in and up to Antioch. Verse 25, when they'd spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God from the work that they had accomplished. And we just looked back at that in chapter 13, the first couple of verses. 
We say, and, and James talks about how the, the tongue is such a little thing, yet it controls who we are. And the rudder on a ship is such a little thing, but it controls the direction. And, and it's a whole lot easier for God to use us and to change our direction if we're moving than if we're just sitting still and, and not being active for him. the beginning of chapter 13, the, the, the people were fasting as, and praising God in their everyday ministry so that when the Holy Spirit said, send these two guys to do the work for me, it, it wasn't a great shock to their system. It wasn't like, well, what's going on? Who is, what, what's this all about? They knew and they understood what it was because they were prepared. They were ready. They were ready to go. And the Holy Spirit said, send them, and they sent them. Didn't say that they, you know, sent them to missionary camp for eight months and and did this and that. No, the Holy Spirit prepared them and they went. Now they're coming home, back to that church from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. wonder if Paul still had some bruises and maybe still limping a little bit from a broken leg or an arm in a sling or something. As, as he said in second, he bore in his body the marks of the ministry. It was no, no simple thing that he, that he gave his life to. To, to work and to minister. And as they were they were leaving, they as they were leaving these churches and we were saying they were establishing the elders. They were they were commending them to God. They were giving the church to God and saying, you know, they, they didn't slack their responsibility and, they, and I'm sure that certainly when they were back in, in Antioch that the church there was continuing to pray for these churches that Paul and Barnabas were, were reporting to them about. But it was, God's got it now. God's got them. And he come, they come in later trips, they come back to some of these churches to check in on them. But they say, God, we, we, we did what you asked us to do. Now you keep the work going here. They had to let go. That's hard as a parent when your kids grow up and you got to back off and, and let them... Didn't, didn't think of using this illustration, but just a, a previous church we were in, I remember sitting in a Sunday school class, and <clears throat> they were saying about this young man, what a shame it was. This young man had been raised in a, a Christian home, and he, he went to church and youth group, and I and, uh, went to the Christian school, and, and you know, he knew, he knew all the, he, he knew more than the Sunday school answers, but he, he knew a lot of the answers, and he went off to a state university, and by Christmas time, he had turned his back on God. Because of his professors, they had convinced him that God was a joke. You know, and I, I just I, I shudder when I think of what what was said in that Sunday school. Is don't you know you you can't send your kids to to a state university because look what happened. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That faith was not that kid's faith. 
That, that kid's was his family's and his church's faith, but it wasn't his. If you squeezed in, that faith wouldn't have come out because that faith wasn't his. It wasn't there. There was nothing that he felt like he had to stand firm on to defend. And, I, and yeah, it's a shame that that happened. And, and yeah, you gotta, if you're going to go to a state university, you've got to be strong in your faith. Our daughter found that out when she went to MSU. No, it would have been, wouldn't have been any better if she'd gone to U of M either. <laughs> Although I'm a Wolverine fan. It probably might, might have been worse. I don't know. What comes out of you when the world squeezes you? Paul and Barnabas were doing all they could in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to, to establish churches because that was the mission that the Holy Spirit sent them on. And they went back to strengthen the disciples, to get them from the, from the, the convert stage to the discipleship disciple stage and elders. Just a, a quick reading out of uh, W.A. Crystal. Whenever I find a reading, it seems to be out of, out of his. <coughs> Excuse me. Tolstoy. Any of you ever heard of Tolstoy? That's good and bad. The, the, the incomparable, incomparable Russian novelist and philosopher in his My Confessions and My Religion summarized four attitudes that men take towards life problems. I'll warn you ahead of them, none of them are godly, okay? <coughs> so don't expect to hear one that is. He classified all men into the following four categories. Number one, there are those who view life as all bad and they get drunk to forget it. Number two, there are those who view life as all bad and they struggle against it. Number three, there are those who view life as all bad and by suicide remove themselves from it. Number four, Tolstoy included himself in this group, there are those who view life as all bad but we live on it, irrationally accepting it as it comes. This comes from one of the supposed finest minds regarding the definition of purpose and meaning of life. Man is either getting drunk to forget it he is to struggle against life hopelessly. He is to commit suicide and get out of it. Or he is to accept life irrationally as it is, as it comes, with no meaning or purpose, just enduring it until the grave swallows you up. What a disaster. But there's also God. According to the word, and this is Chriswell, not Tolstoy. According to the word of God, there's also a fifth alternative that Tolstoy did not name. It could be that there is a divine reason and a divine purpose in life. There could be life, there could be in life, a God who has infinite reason, an infinite plan, and infinite sovereign grace for those of us who find refuge in him. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson and Thomas Carlyle, these were old English poets and writers from the early 1800s. We're looking at two busts in a museum. One was of the German poet Goethe, and the other was of the Italian poet Dante. Tennyson says to Carlyle, what is in the face of Dante that one misses in the face of Goethe? And without hesitation, Carl responded, God. 
God makes the difference as we face life with all of its vicissitudes, fortunes, trials, and tribulation. God in the revealed word says that in our trial and in our trouble, we glorify him. Our responsibility is to reflect Christ. This week, walk the walk, walk the talk, tell others of Jesus Christ. That will strengthen you and help you to be able to stand firm and be a disciple, not just a convert, not just someone with fire insurance. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Acts and and all the lessons that we can learn from it. Thank you for men like Paul and Barnabas that stood for you at any cost and they paid the price. Father, give us the strength. Give us your wisdom. Give us more faith that we would live more like they do than we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.